Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. That's what you call a volume shift. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cinema Files Radio today on Sunday, 10 a.m. Pacific. Today we have a very special show. We weren't expecting to have Charles Carpenter on today, but very welcome to Charles Carpenter. Hi, Charles. How are you doing today? I'm great, Steve. Thank you so much. It was a crazy week. We were going to uh, have our vacation this week, but it was pushed, so I... uh, I was able to make myself available, and of course, got my uh, my happy little butt in the seat here, ready to ready to talk some uh, talk some movies. Awesome! Today's a very nice day. We have Brian Barsuglia, who is also part of the SoCal Film Fest, puts it on every year. A Dr. Echo, Mr. Hyde. We'll talk a little bit later about that. A little bit about his film career, about where he began, where he uh, intends to be. We got to work with the great Mickey Rooney on his last film. Sean Piccinino will also be on the show today, joining Brian. Sean is the star of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The correct title is The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There are many adaptations, as we all know. But this one is the one that's staying as close to it as its literary counterpart as possible. And I'm really excited to, uh, to talk about that because anytime you have an adaptation, especially from a work of literature as well-known and regarded as uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you, 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 know, you run into so many problems and concerns. How do you do it? How do you create it? How do you honor both the time-tested formula of the story itself, but also create it for an audience uh, that is very savvy of today. So a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Yes, absolutely. Sean Piccinino from the Lucky Fame. We met Brian Barcilla for the first time at SoCal Film Festival, at least I did, when we showed the Lucky Film there a couple years past. Last year was Phase 2, starring Sean Pagino. I'm sure next year will be another film. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's all online, everybody. Your... Let's... Go ahead. Go ahead, Sean. Go ahead, Charles. I was gonna... How did you enjoy uh, your experience there? Oh, I had a great time. Brian is an excellent host. Uh, very well put together. Uh, very calm. Very relaxing. Everybody knew where they were going. There was tickets. Uh, people signed posters. It was... 
it was very much a festival feeling without all the extreme pressure. People just came out. They wanted to see your film. Uh, Brian is a, a star when it comes to speaking to people and, and communication. So uh, he shines. He, he made sure everybody knew who he was. And uh, not in an arrogant way, but in a, this is who I am and welcome to the fest. And was very, very welcoming. So it was a very, very good time. Uh, the SoCal Film Festival. Uh, very much, very much worth your money down there in Huntington Beach. Fantastic time. I see we have a lot of, lot of guests calling today. Uh, this is going to be a great show. Can't wait to get Brian on here. Let's get to some news. So hold on a second, let's listen to some little guitar here and let's get started. It's always interested here in uh, live radio. We have the great Ed Parker Jr. They're going to join us very, very soon on our radio show in a, in a couple of weeks. I had a very nice conversation with him. Yes, indeed. Sure, you know the great Ed Parker Jr. Yeah, you, you know all the stories about his father and about his career. It's a great man. Came out to see uh, our Lackey movie. Uh, very humble. When I saw him, it, it literally made my eyes, you know, enlarge. It was, it was very nice to see him there. Absolutely. What a uh, what an amazing person! What an amazing uh, martial artist! Uh, I can't uh, I, I I can't tell you how excited I am to speak with him as well. Just I'm very excited. It was wonderful. Wonderful. Absolutely. It was one of those things where I'm going, oh my God, we got like three guests at one time. That's fantastic. That, that, those are worse problems to have right there, right? I'm telling you. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So, you know, every week I talk to you about, uh, you know, a film or a show that I like and 
one of the films and shows that I like right now is Veep. And one of the problems with, with me telling you how much I love Veep is that you're not getting any information on the show <laughs> at all. I'm forgetting <laughs> the fact that this is basic communication. So, so Veep is a great show. It's on HBO. And as uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and if you don't know who Julia Louis-Dreyfus is, then she's part of the Seinfeld regime. Uh, she played, uh, uh, who did she play on Seinfeld? It's one of those things. Oh, Elaine. Uh, she played Elaine Bettis. Elaine. Elaine. Uh, you know what's I funny? Is that I, I didn't like her character. Elaine. I, I wasn't a gigantic <laughs> fan of her character on the show. I, I don't know why. I just, and it was one of those Shemp things, I guess. Was, you know, I liked Larry. I loved Curly. I, I loved Mo. But when Shemp came in, it just kind of, just kind of, broke with the vibe of it for me, but yeah, she's an excellent actress. She was a great comedian, obviously, but it was only until I saw Veep that I really, really enjoyed watching her act. Um, now, I, I don't want to shred his name apart, but I'm going to give it a great try here. It's Armando uh, Iannucci who created the show, and um, it's 7.9 on, on, on IMDb, but I'm telling you, this show, if you like House of Cards, this show is an excellent show for you because it's the opposite of House of Cards. Um, House of Cards is more about the, uh, the integration of, of deceit and, 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 uh, and uh, I'll just say weirdness in <laughs> politics, or normalness, as they would call it. It's, it's yeah. a very strange show, and it's very cool, and it's very aggressive. It's very, very much in your face, and it, it teaches you a lot about politics extremely fast. Where Veep is more about the characters and, and their development. If you notice, if you watch the show, you'll see that they don't, they don't play political parties. They're, you don't see the president. You don't know if she's a Republican or a Democrat, even though we know her as an actress, really, Dreyfus's uh, political stance. We don't know her character's political stance at all because it doesn't, it doesn't really matter to the show. What matters to the show is who she is as a person and, and what is she doing. So uh, I, I, I'm well, telling you right now that... Uh, go ahead. The great thing about it, the great thing about the show is that it's so irreverent and they allow themselves to be made fun of. There is no office, there is no position that is, uh, that is sacrosanct. They will poke fun at everything and at everybody and each character has their own foibles and their flaws and they, they highlight them so well. It, it really just, it, you, you sit down and you just start laughing and at the absurdity of it until you realize these characters are so sincere in making this absurd world be real and viable that you can't help but get caught up into it. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of it myself. <laughs> it's a darn funny show. Yeah, I, I've always loved all the presidential shows, being from like Master-in-Chief to The West Wing. I've always loved uh, president movies. I'm, I'm a, an American aficionado, at least... American history fishing. I just, I just adore it. So when you watch the show, it's really fantastic to see how the vice president's kind of treated. Especially when you see Biden, you see Vice President Joe Biden. I, I just see a, a Hawaiian trip every single time I see him. I see. I, I think this guy is somehow drinking a mai tai in the back and you know drinking a little sliver of pineapple. When I first saw Vice President Joe Biden, I saw him in the. Um, and the debates between the Democrats, it was fantastic, because I'd never seen him before. And the first thing I thought to myself was, I like this guy. I wouldn't vote for him for president, but I really like this guy. And then he's grown into this character, and now I'm interested in vice presidents, whereas 
maybe before him, I wasn't so much interested in the vice president, unless, of course, our president's health was in, was in dire straits. So right. the show Veep is a, is a really good insight on, on you know, House of Cards also talked a little, a little bit about the vice president and how despair kicked in and how he felt like he was underutilized and what have you. Uh, but so does Veep. Veep is actually the, the character speaking for himself, saying how underutilized he is, or she is. And it doesn't matter that she's a female, even though they do touch base on it. It doesn't really matter. So on to our, 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 you know, I wanted just to touch base on that because uh, I've been talking about Veep, but I haven't really given you much detail on the show. It had his, hit its season finale, so you can see the entire show right now on like Xfinity to go if you have that. Or if you have, uh, I don't know, anything that downloads videos like Amazon Prime. or It's not on Netflix yet, but it's definitely on Amazon Prime. So moving on, I want to talk a little bit to Charles about the movie that he's going to see today. Charles is going to go see X-Men Days of Futures Past. This guy's catching up to the future. Look at this guy. Charles, are you looking um, forward um, to X-Men Days of Future Past? I'm actually excited because, again, uh, as I've shared on other shows, when, when you have a family, going to the movies is a, is a select special experience, and uh, you know we're, we're freeing up some time today to go do that. I am looking forward to it because not only am I an X-Men fan, I, you know, the comic books, I, am, I wear my geek badge proudly, but the X-Men are my favorite title in uh, the lexicon of the comic book universe. Absolutely love them. And I love them because they are human and they have evolved as opposed to them being uh, creatures from outer space or aliens who come here and try to fit in. Great storylines, great ideas. I get it. Big nod to Superman. I'm, I'm a big fan there. But to be able to be a human and to try to fit in in this world and then all of a sudden you realize there's just something different about you. You know, I think that that's right. something that appeals to all of us because we all have that one element in our person and our persona and our makeup and our character that, you know, separates us. And we all feel at one point or another, be it the, the odd teenage years or going into college or wherever it is, that, that we're a little off, that we're not like everybody else. And I think X-Men speaks to that. So th- that aspect of it always spoke to me. My favorite superhero of all time is Wolverine. Love the character. I love him because he's a martial artist. For those of you who who go deep into the Wolverine backstory, you know that uh, uh, dealing with uh, uh, the Yakuza and and all his dealings in Japan, he's had this training, this martial training, but ultimately it comes back to the fact that here's this lethal weapon of a person who is trying to, to be good, who is trying to do right, you know, who has this fury within him, this, this bestial mentality, and yet he is trying to be a good man. And I, I love that. I love that dichotomy of, of, of viewpoints, of philosophies that are constantly at war with one another inside of him and how he keeps working at it. He's flawed. He'll never be perfect working. Uh, love him so much that uh, named my son Logan. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Really very excited. Yep, I'm a, I'm I'm very excited. Well, Logan, and then the old the, the classic movie Logan's Run. I love the name from uh, uh, I don't know if you remember that that classic movie Michael York, but uh, I do. love the name Logan for forever. And um, but obviously 
Wolverine came along. It's like, okay, yeah, this is it. This is my son. This is who he is. So I'm very <laughs> excited about jumping in and seeing that movie today. That's awesome. You know, on, on a little segue there, we're talking about our favorite superhero characters. And one of my favorite, one of my superhero characters, if you go to 1 to 10, is Supergirl. And for that, for one of those very reasons, what people don't realize about Supergirl is people remember the movie from 1987, I believe, where, you know, it, it's not a very good movie. But Supergirl's story traditionally is this. Superman was born on Earth, living in Earthling's life, finds out that he's Superman and has to deal with it, and learns along the way. He has help, he has love, he has compassion, he has to hide himself, he doesn't really have to force himself into understanding today's technology, even though Krypton was like a thousand years ahead of us, as far as tech goes. He didn't have to live through that. Now, Supergirl comes into Earth's atmosphere in a teenage year. So she's a teenager already. So she lived long enough on Earth to see all the te- or on Krypton, to see all the tech, all the advancements, all the style, her friends, family, maybe a boyfriend, who knows. And then she gets stuck on a ship. Krypton's destroyed, and she gets put on Earth. She has power she doesn't understand. She has responsibilities she doesn't really want because she's a teenager. She doesn't want to be the Earth's greatest guardian. You know, there's a lot of things going on there that really turns her off. And it's a really fantastic uh, story arc when you look at it that way because unlike Superman, Superman has forces himself to a large amount of dignity, whereas Supergirl feels more lost in a time full of baboons, and that she needs to save them. It's one of the reasons why, in the future, Supergirl actually takes a trip into the future and finds herself more comfortable. But a lot of people don't find the Supergirl or, or, or She-Hulk or a lot of these female storylines to be very compelling because they don't feel themselves that they'll, at least that's what I think, that they don't feel themselves that they'll understand or feel compassion towards the character. Well, Netflix is going to fix that. They're coming out with some new Marvel shows that have female characters. Uh, Detective Peggy Sue, or the first S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, Peggy Sue. She has her own new show yeah. coming on ABC Family. Oh, that's so that's great. great. Good. So all, yeah, so all, all that stuff is changing really fast. And, and the one thing that, that, that I noticed from X-Men Days of Future Past that I didn't really like all that much was the fact that um, the female characters were, were mistreated. I didn't think they were treated quite well. So when you watch the film... I would love to hear your opinion on that fact. Personally, I, I'm a huge fan of the Joss Whedon, J.J. Abrams perspective on women. I'm making them extremely powerful, extremely strong, extremely strong, smart, and then put them in the mix. Very much how James Cameron did Aliens. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that, that mix and, uh, mix and jumble of characters. How, how do you feel about that? In, in cinema. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge component of that, and I think that that's one of the that's one of the uh, criteria that I look for in terms of what makes a, a story great. Are the female characters every bit on par as the male characters? And uh, it's something that's in my series of books, the Necromancer's Pride series of books. Uh, I tried to do as an author myself to give the female characters the same voice, the same strength, to lend the same sort of energy and dynamic to the story that the male characters do. Otherwise, you have an incomplete world. You know, you really do. You have, you, you have that sentiment and energy that needs to be explained and brought to the forefront. The, the yin and yang, for lack of a better term, 
And it's really important, especially nowadays, to be able to see that and recognize it. It isn't solely a man's world, uh, nor has it ever been really. Uh, but now people, uh, filmmakers and storytellers, are really beginning to identify that and allowing those aspects of the characters to come forth. And so I think it's, it's a great time for movies. It's a great time for us as moviegoers to be able to delve into fully realized stories. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to, to see, uh, you know, what they, what they do with us in this film. So am I. Before we start with, with Brian right here on the show, we're so excited to have Mom. I want to talk to you what, about one movie that I saw this weekend that I just fell in love with. It's very hard to find. So I want to talk to you a little about it. It's called Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer stars Chris Evans. It's a very strange, strange story, but it's post-apocalyptic where I don't want to give too much away. Mm-hmm. Basically what happens is the earth freezes over and everybody is stuck on a train. Now, as they're stuck okay. on this train, as you go further into the cabin, it becomes more, I don't know, perverse, evolved, richer. Back of the train, obviously, it's a metaphor. It's directed by... Uh, 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 Jun Ho Bong. Jun Ho Bong did The Host. He did Mother. He did uh, uh, Tokyo. These are great films. And he, saw, he, uh, he made this film in 2013. I had no idea what this film was. I saw it this weekend. And if you're, and if you're a Bioshock fan, if you like video games and you like Bioshock, you're going to see a gigantic combination of action film slash Bioshock video game thriller. Now, I, I don't want to say that in a way that's negative, like Mario Brothers or you know, like a video game adaptation. Sure. It's not. Essentially, what I, what I saw in this film, and by the way, it stars John Hurt as well, Ed Harris, now Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton is, is excellent in this film, by the way. Ewan Bremmer. I think, uh, I think Tilda Swinton is Hill. everything she does. She is amazing. You know, if, if, I don't want to go off subject here, but have you ever seen a movie called um, Othello, made by... Uh, made by uh, Victoria Wolf. Uh, it stars Tilda Swinton, where she lives a thousand years, and she trans transgenders herself from man to woman. And I won't tell you in which respect she changes them, but it's quite a brilliant movie. It's called Othello, and it's it's not a movie that's that's high up there in, as far as people have seen, but it's it's more of an art film, and it's beautiful. You you have to see it. Anyways, she's in this movie, and you can barely recognize it because she wears she wears uh make she wears glasses and, and teeth prosthetics. But the movie is fantastic. It, it shows, first of all, Chris Evans' acting chops. It, it brings Bioshock's world alive, whereas the movie's not been made yet, so it gives you a little bit of a sliver of where it's coming from. Just, just enough. Just enough about you know, propaganda and, and what somebody would need to keep people in line. It's very much like that 1985 storyline. Um, of repression, post-apocalyptic time. Anyways, the movie's called Snowpiercer, and it's starring Chris Evans. It's directed by Jun Ho Bong. I, I was about to say Bong because Koreans pronounce B's with P's, but uh, I'll say Bong. And he's an excellent director. If you like The Host, which I am a huge fan of, you'll love this movie. If you like Chris Evans, then you will doubly love this movie. Snowpiercer coming out. It came out in 2013, but it does have a July 2014 release date. Charles, excellent. I, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It is on my uh, is on my docket of movies to check out. 
you know, everybody looks at Chris Evans and they want, uh, you know, they, they want the Captain America, they want the Age of Ultron. Obviously, he's making those movies. But what a lot of people don't know is that while, while Joss Whedon was making, making the first Avengers film, he made Much Ado About Nothing, which was an amazing film, black and white, starts all your Buffy and Angel and Dollhouse inside of one movie. Um, it's on black and white. It's on Netflix. It's beautiful. So he did that in the middle, yeah. right? and then Chris Evans I, did this in the middle of doing one Avengers to another Avengers to another Captain America, which is insane to me. Yeah, uh, it's you know it's a great departure as an actor to be able to go from those hugely iconic characters into something uh, a bit more cerebral, a bit darker, something that that isn't as readily understood. So you have to bring uh, those nuances to life in such a way to where you know when you're when you're playing a Captain America, you have the history of the character upon which the audience can refer. And so you have that reference point uh, as, as a jumping-off point for you as an actor. And so when you dive into a character that isn't really well-known, you really get the opportunity to see his chops as he brings uh, the, all the dimensions of this character uh, to light. And uh, speaking of Much Ado About Nothing, uh, as a huge Shakespeare fan myself, saw it, and I really enjoyed the, uh, the Joss Whedon adaptation of it. I thought it was really okay, well done. Let's stay right there. So you, so you saw it then? Yes. No, oh, it was great, wasn't it? Oh, I, I, I was really, really, uh, I was really, really impressed. Um, because again, you know, Shakespeare, uh, his brilliance, how, how it, you can bring it to life in a modern day sense, uh, is something that, uh, you know, is I always love to see how it, how it can be pulled off. Yeah, and uh, and did it excellently. Uh, you know, definitely used the uh, old adage of less is more to pull it off. And uh, so I was, I was a fan. Uh, but, you know, it stars Amy Ackar. Amy Ackar is one, I, I just love her to death. If you've ever seen Amy Ackar, she was Fred in Angel. And then she played uh, Whiskey in Dollhouse. She's been in a thousand things. I'm not going to get into it right now because I want her as a guest. And I want to talk to her about all of her projects. And I don't want to spoil it. But she's one of my favorite, favorite Joss Whedon um, characters or people or team probably a better word anyways much ado about nothing is a great movie to watch right now on netflix as a as maybe a you know, subpar of what i was talking about before and then snowpiercer is a great movie by chris evans june Bong. um it's coming out in july 2014 it should be out right now you should be able to get it on direct on demand or i, I don't know i don't know where to find it i'll be honest with you i i found it on on uh, on demand. That's where I found mine. So Snowpiercer, try to give it a shot. All right, we're going to give ourselves a little bit of a break here, and we're going to put on some music, and then we're going to put on Brian. Here we go. Perfect.
Now, if you haven't had that great chance, look up Guardians of the Galaxy. Right now, they're having a competition where they're giving away seats in IMAX theaters for 15 minutes of view of the new Guardians of the Galaxy. You can just type in Guardians of the Galaxy contest in Google or whatever. I don't think you do use another search engine, but if you do, just type in Guardians of the Galaxy contest. You'll see that they'll have Colorado, Los Angeles, Chicago, every single major state, every major city, talking about Guardians of the Galaxy and the first 15-minute preview on IMAX. Tickets are for free. I already got mine. It's going to be amazing. All right, Charles, now bringing on our great guest here, Brian Barcigola. Brian. Hello. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. It's nice to have you here. Now, how do you, how do you say your last name uh, so, so we don't butcher it some more? It's got a silent G. It's Italian. Barsulia it helps if you raise a hand in the air and say it like that. Brian Barsulia. 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 Well, you are, you are a fellow Saison with uh, my wife. She's, a, she's Italian, so I now have extra pressure on me not to mess up your name. Brian Barsulia. <laughs> Perfect. That's okay. I, I have people well, that have known me since third grade that still mispronounce it. Well, they're not, married to, they're not married to my wife, so I don't have to answer to them, just to her. <laughs> so I will, I will do my best not to mess it up. <laughs> well, thank you. So, Brian, the first time we met was uh, during SoCal Film Fest. Uh, how long have you been doing the SoCal Film Fest? And, uh, and is it going on this year? It's got to be going on this year as well, right? I was there. Yes. Yes, 2014 marks our 10th year, 10-year anniversary, a big year for us. Wow. Fantastic. Well, let's, let's, let's start off where, where we all began. You know, I was, you know, as with everybody, I check out their IMDb. Your IMDb is just obviously nuts. You've done everything when it comes to making films, from producing, directing, editing, writing, and acting. Uh, what started you off this way? Uh, did you were you born like an actor, like some of these prodigies? I, I was born wanting to act, or did you go into it slowly? I, w- I was born wanting to tell stories. I just uh, remember from being a, even as a little kid, I just always wanted to write and tell stories, and was always writing, was always telling stories. My grandfather gave me an 8mm movie camera when I was 10 or 11 years old and instantly started making little horror films, little skateboard movies with that and just kept growing from there. And being in Northern California, I didn't have a lot of opportunity to, to work in the industry, but uh, had some here and there. Worked on uh, America's Funniest People when they would come up in the area. I worked at a local TV station during uh, my college years while I was getting my BA at Chico State. And then uh, moved down here, and it just kept expanding. Oh, so you went to Chico State. So, yes, so you I did. you uh, you went to college where Sean Piccino grew up. Well, we actually I grew up there, so he and I know a lot of the same people. We never crossed paths there, but then uh, in Huntington Beach, it turns out we live a block and a half from each other. <laughs> oh, how funny! What a kidnap! That's great. So that's fantastic. You talk about being a being a, a storyteller uh, from the inception. Uh, what are some of the things that you look for in telling a good story? How do you, how do you bring your stories to life? Oh, with uh, with 
movies especially, good dialogue, strong characters. Those are the things I really look for. Um, of course, you need to have a good story, and I try the best that I can there. But uh, I feel like the characters can really come alive through the dialogue and the way they, they are written and the things they say. A lot can be, a lot can be told through a, through a character just uh, through those actions. Absolutely. Did you, Absolutely. Did you go to school for – now, when you started off, you go to school for writing. Did you take creative writing classes, English class in high school, grade school? Let's start off there. I took writing classes whenever I could. When I was in fifth grade, I went to a young writer's novelist. Or actually, it wasn't a young writer's. It was just a novel workshop for uh, hopeful writers. And I think I was the only kid there surrounded by hundreds of adults um, took creative writing courses whenever I had the opportunity. My bachelor's was radio, television, film. My master's degree is English literature. Nice. So it's something and where, where did you take consume whenever I can. Where did you go to? So, so writing was just in your blood from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And, and what was your what was your thing? Did you did you want to go on to be a director, writer, actor, producer, all those things together, or did you have a a major focus on, on where you wanted to go? I only act out of necessity. If I have an actor cancel out or I just have a, <laughs> a difficult time filling apart, then I will jump in. But I prefer not to act at all. I like being behind the camera. I like being in the creation process. Um, I, like, I like writing a lot. I like directing. I like producing. Um, I do a lot of editing, too, cause, because as a producer and writer and director, it's really hard to let go. Sometimes I probably should, though. <laughs> Well, as creators, we have a pro- we have a real problem with, with control. <laughs> was that a thing as well? Because I, as I I found myself as being a writer, the one thing I love about writing is that I have control over all of my work. You find that that's the same thing for yourself? Is, is that's a real pull for you? Uh, yes and no. As a as a writer, when I'm creating the characters, I'll have a character in my head that I create. But then when it actually comes to the movie making process, I try to give my actors a lot of leeway, leeway to change the dialogue to fit their delivery, to fit the personality they create for the character. So in that regard, I do release some of the control. With uh, with the editing, it's just difficult to doing stuff on a – more than anything for uh, budget reasons. It's just too difficult to uh, budget out someone who would probably edit at the quality I'd like to see. Right, right. What uh, what elements in a story as a writer do you like to bring uh, to the foreground to to uh, to employ to tell your story? It changes based on. I mean, it's it's really different based on every story. Um, I've written everything from comedies to dramas to sci-fi to to horror. So it really changes. But I think with with my stories, it all goes back to character building. Strong characters is always my first goal. Mm-hmm. Is there a favorite genre that you have to write in or to create in, or is it just not whatever a, movie? Yeah, no, I mean, I, when I'm doing my writing, I try not to stick to one genre specifically. In the, the filmmaking world, I tend to stick more to the horror genre just because it's uh, primarily because it's easier to get those movies out there. The horror audiences are a little more understanding and accepting of low-budget movies. Mm-hmm. Um. So with the movie making, I tend to tend to stick to horror. But in my personal writing, it's it really it's a pretty strong variety. Now, we're getting a lot of questions in here. Well, oh, Charles, we're getting a lot of get, uh, guest call-ins. We're going to get a lot of questions here. One question here from Timmy is, 
when did SoCal Film Fest start, and what motivated you to start it? The SoCal Film Festival started, uh, I guess, really started being built and constructed back in 2004, and then its first year was 2005. And uh, living here in Orange County, we have the Newport Beach Film Festival, which is a great event, a big, huge event that celebrates not just the movies, but the going-ons around the movies, the parties and, and whatnot. Um, with the SoCal Film Festival, I was just looking to create something that celebrated the independent artist, um, people making movies. Some of these people get second mortgages to make their movie. Other people scrape together everything they can through friends, neighbors, family, put it on their credit cards, get this movie made, go through this incredible process. It might be a year, it might be five years for some of them. And I wanted to give those people an outlet to to show their movies, and we have a beautiful little 320-seat theater at the Central uh, Park Library here, and it's just it's a great venue, and it's a great way to bring filmmakers and an appreciative, appreciative audience together. And we're on our 10th year anniversary right now, the SoCal Film Festival. Uh, it, how, how has it been for the past 10 years? Has it been pretty consistent? Has, has it grown from something small to something huge? Uh, what, what have you seen from, from its growth and from its production? Well, it's never crossed the barrier of huge, and a lot of that has to do just with, with time involved. It is a part-time endeavor for me. Um, the first year we showed, I think, around 30 movies. The fifth year we, and that was over three days, the fifth year we showed 200 movies over 10 days. So it's, uh, it's had years where it's really big and then years where it's uh, fairly small. The last few years I've brought it back down a little bit where we do anywhere from three to five days of movies. And then we have uh, an online screening room that goes for two weeks, too. That's just a little e- more easier to manage. I have a lot of volunteers, interns, people to get involved, but I primarily do all the organization. So I uh, pulled it back down a little bit just for my own sanity. Sure, absolutely. But, um, were you surprised by the amount of work that it took in creating a film festival, getting it up on its feet, that sort of thing? Yes, I had really no idea what to expect. When I started, uh, organizations like Without a Box were just getting going. So to really get entries, I had to do a lot of marketing. I had to do just a lot of uh, getting the word out there um, through email, mail, postings, posters, flyers at colleges and uh, different schools. So it was a lot more hands-on in terms of uh, physical marketing. Um, Now so much of it can be done digitally. But it was just a ton of work. I have people every year, two or three people, tell me they're interested in starting a festival, and they want my advice, and I tell them, run away. <laughs> run away because so it's so much work, or run away, run away because it's not no, rewarding? No, I'm kidding. I mean, it's, it's, it is an immense amount of work. I think anybody looking into starting it, the first thing they have to know is if, if they have a venue. Venues can be incredibly expensive and the killer of festivals. I've seen so many festivals start up do one year, uh, some with big backing, some small festivals, but uh, I don't think they realize the, the price of a venue, a theater to actually show the movies. So you mentioned just a second ago that you uh, worked consciously to bring it back down and kind of scale down the size of it. Um, yes. What's what are, What is the criterion that you look for in terms of accepting movies into the film festival? It's, a, it's basically a grading rubric like you might grade an essay with. Um, I have a group of people that have been 
watching movies from the start, then I add new people every year, and then I have interns involved as well. And we look at a pretty, uh, pretty straightforward rubric, and the first thing we look at is the technical quality. Is it something that we can show in a theater? Um, does it have to be perfect? No, we understand these are independent movies, but it has to be acceptable and show a professional level quality. Uh, I can listen to a movie instantly and know if the person used professional quality mics or if they used an onboard mic on a camera, which is going to instantly decrease the chances of us showing it. Does the person having knowledge of photography, whoever uh, was the DP, do they actually know what they're doing? Does the color look right? Are the booms out of the shots? Uh, you know, the, the basic stuff with, uh, with the technical aspect of it. Then, of course, we look at story. Does it tell a story, whether it's a, a two-minute short or a feature film? Does it have some kind of story that's going to get the attention of the audience? Of course, the shorter it is, the less of a story you generally have, and that's understandable. The longer it is, how quickly will people get engrossed in a story? When you have a feature film with uh, unrecognizable actors or names people don't recognize, they're not going to give that a half hour or 40 minutes to develop. They want to know that it's, uh, it's going in the 10, first 10, 15 minutes, and it's going to keep them through that hour and a half to two hours. We look at acting quality. Uh, we understand that on a lower budget, sometimes that's an area that uh, you may have a lot more, uh, oh, let's see, up-and-coming actors or people gaining their experience, uh, still developing their, their art. And uh, finally, we look at just uh, judges overall. What did the judge think of it personally? Is it something they would like to see in the theater? Well, I remember coming down to the show last year, and it was a great show. We had, like, Phase 2 and all, all these other kind of movies last year. I really, really enjoyed myself. As far as the audience coming in and watching those films, does that inspire you yourself to go make your own films? Or does that, does that teach you what works and doesn't work? Is, is that what the... Does it do that for you, the festival? Um, I'd, like I'd like to say yes, absolutely. But I don't know if I can always avoid those, uh, those pitfalls myself. I try. I do what I can. As right. you watch these movies, I mean, I, I literally watch hundreds of movies myself a year, and um, other judges watch anywhere from 50 to hundreds of movies as well, and we evaluate all of these, and I see what works, I see what doesn't work, and I like to bring it together. I know I watch movies completely differently now than I did 10 years ago, because I'm looking at all these different aspects about why I think it worked or didn't work, and so do the other judges, and I, I would like to think that I take those experiences and bring them into my own work and develop uh, develop as a filmmaker myself, too. Right. Does that affect your it, it, enjoyment of the movie-going experience, the way you look at movies critically now, or can you just go in and say, okay, I just want to be entertained? Would, I, to a degree, I've always done that anyway. I've always gone in and watched the movies and analyzed them and wanted to talk about movies afterward. Uh, I just do it at a, a different level now, I think. Uh, it's, it's funny to see the impact of people that are now judges and jurors for me, people who are on the screening committee who watch these movies and to hear what they say about it. I'll have spouses tell me, I hate going to the movie with him now because he has to take the whole thing apart. So it definitely impacts the way people watch movies. And uh, I, don't know if it, I, I don't think it takes away from the enjoyment. I think it increases it and it pulls you in even more. And sometimes if, uh, if I'm too critical of a movie while I'm watching it, then I figure that was something about the film itself that didn't pull me in. I like to go to a movie where I can just watch it, enjoy, forget about uh, forget about the real world, and then talk about it after. But if I find myself analyzing and breaking it down while I'm watching it, then there's probably 
something about it that uh, that's worthy of being critical about. Absolutely. Well, what, what is what is the last movie that you saw in the theaters? The last movie I saw in the theaters, huh? <laughs> I let's see. I couldn't even tell you. I'm not sure actually. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't actually get out to the theaters that much between the cost of going to the uh, the movies. I, I focus most of my time on the movies that I'm watching for the festival and uh, things that I can right. watch watch on demand. What is or, your favorite? Let me go on a different angle. What is your favorite movie? Do you have a favorite movie? I do not have a favorite movie. I have movies like Shawshank Redemption, Godfather, those types of movies that are everybody's favorites or tend to be liked by most people. I can turn those movies on when I see those on cable and get sucked into those every single time they're on. But at the same time, I can watch a movie like Evil Dead 2. And while I'm watching it, yes. that is my favorite movie. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Are you one? I'm one of those people that if you walk into my house, you'll see a gigantic DVD collection, gigantic case, all, all that stuff. Are you are you one of those people as well? At one point I was, but now with the uh, digital world that we're in, I've actually started getting rid of all that stuff. Uh, I oh have uh, some of the more obscure titles that are difficult to find. I, I keep around, but uh, the as for just the general DVDs, if it's not something that we have popped into the DVD player in the last year, I've been compiling those together and selling them on eBay. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. You bring up an interesting question What with uh, the, the way movies are just be, being able to create them, to store them, to hold on to them. Do you think that this is a, it's an easier process to make a movie now than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago? Or do yes, you feel no. as though... Yeah, oh, go, go ahead, ahead. I will say right. yes and no, but first I'm going to jump back and actually let, let me say the last movie I saw in the theater was two weeks ago. We went to Dances with Films, another film festival, and we saw Jason Cartalian's Seahorses, fantastic independent movie worth checking out if you get the opportunity. Great. Um, but uh, as for the process of making movies, I've seen now I've seen this change with the festival quite a bit. Uh, with the, the digital age, it has changed the filmmaking process so much where, I mean, even into the nineties, if you wanted to make a movie, the, the lowest quality you could do was 16 millimeter. It was going to cost you a bunch of money. Then DV started coming out and a few movies had breakthroughs, Blair Witch Project 28 days later where they shot on, uh, on variations or different formats, DV included. Um, and then the HD video came out and suddenly you could do these incredibly high quality movies. So at the festival, we had this slew of movies that looked great, but the people had no idea what they were doing. So there would be terrible sound. There would be no knowledge of how to actually photograph a movie. So we'd get hundreds and hundreds of entries that picture quality looked great because they were using a fantastic camera, but the technical knowledge still wasn't there. Now over the last three or four years, I'd say things have kind of come full circle, and it's back to filmmakers making movies. That's I don't know if it's easier process, but it's, it's, a, it's a less expensive process. That's great, Brian. You know, so, we, we, I definitely want to talk to you about your next project. I want to talk to you about Dr. Jekyll, but first I want to get Sean in here. So what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to take a, a short little break. We're going to put you on hold. We're going to talk a little bit about Sean, just a tad bit, and then we're going to get into Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and your project together. I'm very much looking forward to that. 
And your little, uh, little, little thing about Sean as well. I know that you have a story about him. Hold on a second. Here we go, guys. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today on Cinema Files Radio. Again, we have a very special show today with Brian Persulia. I'm very glad that I got his name right. <laughs> Sean Piccinino will be joining us in just a nanosecond. Fantastic guy. Fantastic friend. Fantastic student to all of us here. Mr. Sean Piccinino, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good to have you on. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time. We know you're a busy, busy man. <laughs> uh, yes, of course, but uh, always always love coming on uh, uh, these radio shows. And, and uh, this is my first time on uh, Cinema Files, so I'm excited. Woot, woot. So well, we, we uh, have, uh, we're so happy to have I'm sorry, Charles. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying we were so happy. We're so happy to have you on. It's just a, it's a it's a great thing when we get uh, not only one guest, but we have two phenomenal guests uh, to to talk shop with. So again, thank you so much. Absolutely, and we wanted to get into you know all your movies and and all of your projects, and we want to talk about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is connected to Brian. Uh, but first, we want to we want to start from the beginning, and I'm really glad that Brian mentioned the fact that you guys both grew up in the same place. You guys both grew up in Chico, and you, you knew the same people. Yeah, that was uh, that was very interesting because we were introduced through a mutual uh, friend and actor, um, and didn't we didn't even realize that we were you know both from the same hometown, and then we also happened to be living in the same. Uh, town in Huntington Beach uh, when we met. So that was really uh, kind of a funny thing, both in to the film industry and and uh, so yeah, it was just one of those uh, 
very interesting things, and our families knew each other as well, and extended families, and uh, you know, it was a that was a shock. I'm like, wait a minute, you live, you grew up in in Chico, yeah, and where do you live, Huntington? Oh my gosh, you know. So it was just a, a funny circumstance. That's awesome. You know, I, I don't I don't want to destroy our, our interview because you know I'm holding back a tad bit because I, I want you to hear the singular guests as well, but there's there's, there's I have to get into all of these things. So you, you, you grew up in Chico. You were a really a, a star out there on your own. You were doing commercials. You were in martial arts. You achieved your second degree black belt out there in Chico, which is fantastic. Am I right on these? Uh, yeah, yes. So please tell me about your experience out there with, with getting first with fame, with first getting into the acting gig, uh, with the martial arts as well, because I want to know about this. I know that they complemented each other as far as uh, having dexterity and having focus and, and what have you. Please share with us. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I grew up in the theater. I grew up in the theater. My father, uh, Barry Piccinino, is a drama professor at a, a college up there in Northern California, as well as produces and directs. He did Shakespeare in the Park. He does musicals and really elaborate shows. So I, I really grew up in that world. And so my love for acting and directing was, you know, a son admiring his father and then kind of finding it on my own and, and really loving it. And then, uh, you know, sort of discovering the cinema side of, of storytelling really intrigued me. And of course my dad brought home a camera for me at like, I think I was 10 years old from the school. You know, it was uh, one of those big, huge VHS recording things and started letting me experiment making films and, uh, but at the same time, I was studying martial arts. I started in Shorinru Karate um, at Haley's Martial Arts Center up there with uh, Kiyoshi, Pat Haley. Um, and, of course, it, martial arts was an epiphany for me. I mean, I always knew I wanted to study it, and I started at around 11 years old and really helped take all my energy because my energy was really all out there. I was bouncing off the walls. You know, my teachers wanted to put me on Ritalin and, of course, my mom, right. uh, I thank her so much, didn't, wouldn't have anything to do with that. So she said, you just got to get him interested in, in uh, subjects, and then he focuses on it. So, of course, the martial arts helped me harness all that energy and focus it into whichever direction I wanted to be focused in and then really giving it everything I have. So martial arts, not only the physical aspects of it, you know, figuring out how to be uh, – acrobatic and, and quick and, and all those things, but the mental side of it, the focus and the, the harmony and the balance and the respect. I really tell this to people who talk about martial arts. To me, it taught me respecting not just you know everybody that you meet, but also yourself and the world, the universe, whatever you want to call it. You just having that respect for everything around you is what you know, really is the life lesson I take from martial arts more than anything. And, and uh, uh, I feel a lot of times people miss that when they train martial arts. Uh, they, they don't understand uh, the respect part of it. But I was lucky enough to have several martial arts uh, lead instructors that have, have always instilled that in me uh, into, into my training of Kung Fu with you and, you know, the same lessons there and, and uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, the martial arts obviously helped me doing some acrobatic uh, stuff in commercials up in my hometown. I, 
I think at one point they were running like 10 separate commercials at once. I, I did like 22 commercials up there. So I, I kind of got a little taste of what it might be like to be famous someday. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm there uh, right now, but it was a very interesting experience, kind of like a little social experiment, if you will, because everywhere I went in that small town, people recognized me from these very silly commercials, and uh, I was doing backflips in them and, and different things like that and playing silly characters and – uh, so people kind of, you know, would recognize me and would ask me to do things like, oh, can you do a backflip for me? And, and uh, you know, I'd be at a pizza parlor and they'd say, you know, do this and say the line and we'll give you a slice of pizza for free or whatever. So it was one of those very interesting things. And, and uh, so it was very, uh, you know, uh, a look into uh, into that lifestyle for sure. Well, I know something that you and I have never really talked about, but... Is that immediate fame you had when you were young? I know we can consider it small, but even at a small level, it's still pretty fantastic and pretty grand, and it adds a lot of energy to your existence, as you know. From were you afraid, or were you were your family afraid that fame was coming a little too fast, or you were too successful, or things were going at a different pace, and you might turn into somebody else, or things might change for you, or were things pretty just steady and positive, and just went. A to B to C. I think, again, the martial arts plays a huge part in that. Um, had I not been that uh, involved with, with something like martial arts and having uh, the teachers that I had there, uh, luckily enough, they were very humbling. And it was all about, uh, it was never about, even if I was the guy running and jumping and flipping, it was never something where I viewed, hey, it's all about me, 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 me. It's always like a shared experience. It's always like, hey, we're all part of the same energy and it's, you know, I'm just part of it and I'm part of the success of others. That's why I'm always rooting for and always happy for other people's success. I'm not one of those people that gets angry if somebody else is having success. I'm like, no, you be successful. I want you to be successful. And so I think a lot of those things that were instilled in me helped me to never really be, uh, and I'm sure there's, people that think I'm arrogant or, or think that I'm full of myself, but uh, I certainly don't feel that way, and, and the people close to me and that know me uh, know that I'm not that way at all. I'm never, uh, you know, always kind of shy about signing an autograph or, or something like that. I mean, I'll do it and I'll put a smile on my face, but, but uh, you know, it's always about, like, sharing that experience with somebody. It's, uh, you know, never about... You know, I've never wanted to be famous to be famous. I, I really have never had that goal. That's not why I do what I am doing and trying to accomplish with filmmaking. And uh, I would, I, I want to have fame, but not so that I can parade around and be famous. I want it so that I can have power to affect real change. That's really my always been my goal. Even since a ten-year-old kid, I had that goal. I said, "Hey, I want to." be able to make a name for myself so that I can then do positive things in the world and help people in need. I mean, it's always been, I really feel I have that, that calling. And, and uh, uh, so that's what it's about for me. Well, Sean, you know, to, to piggyback on what you're saying there, I have the good fortune of, of calling you a friend and uh, knowing you for a number of years, training side by side with you. Uh, and you definitely, you definitely do have that very altruistic nature uh, in your persona. When you talk about, you know, 
branching out and doing all sorts of other things. I mean, your resume is an incredible, an actor, a writer, a uh, director, uh, you know, stuntman, stop motion. Uh, what, what of, these, of all these many skill sets do you feel is your strongest, and which do you feel like this is one that I really want to develop in the years to come? Well, the directing and acting are my first love. Going back to watching my father behind the scenes, you know, uh, backstage, and um, that's my that's my true love and passion is is the acting and and the the performing and and the the directing, uh, kind of helming the ship. There is I just get really excited about, and and whether it's me being the main director or if it's a second unit thing, I don't care. Like it's just. And I love collaborating with people. You, you hear a lot of people who don't like to co-direct. I'm not one of those people. I, I love collaborating and making things happen. And uh, any way I can be part of a team, I, I just, uh, you know, I, I get a thrill and, and kick out of it. And if I if my skills can can help a project happen, then I'm on board, and and uh, you'll get me 150 uh, percent. So those are the ones that I, I want to continue to to develop uh, into the future, and that's my my lifelong goal and dream is to, to be directing and acting. And uh, I think where my strength is um, that I've been able to show and flex is obviously with the action. Um, I want to, you know, I just may have inked a deal to help kind of expand that universe a little bit further with, in, in the feature sense with the action comedy. So, you know, get to show some of that comedic timing and, and all that, which I've obviously worked on comedies before with Robot Chicken and stuff like that, but um, this will be something that I'm helming. and, and uh, uh, so. But I think action, uh, obviously action is my strength, and I think that's where I can make a big name for myself. So I'm going to continue on that path. Well, and, uh, well Sean, and, without, uh, without yeah. giving anything away, the next project will, will be with Jared Rice, am I right? Uh, yes, the way it's looking right now. So you know, all, you know, fingers crossed. All, all those things. Uh, um, there, there is a project that is in the works, and nothing is set, ever set in stone, as you know. But uh, that's what we're working on in in the immediate uh, uh, time right now. Well, just just looking at your your IMDb alone, it, it just looks like a a writing insanity here. It, it's really crazy. <laughs> I've always known your IMDb. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, really, makeup artist, editor, editor, animation, special effects, camera work, cinematography, writing, producing, directing, editing. But I also know you as a very humble Hollywood persona. I'm not really going to get into. This. I'm going to get into it a little later on because when I talk about you, I, it needs to be a, a little bit lengthier of a time than a five second sound bite here. But <laughs> but looking looking at those things, looking at all those things. Does that help you in the long run? I, I know the answer to this personally, but does this help you in the long run as being the director that you are? Because you started off with the bloodletting. And from the bloodletting, you went on to the lackey as far as two different feature films. Going from those two different films, the bloodletting to the lackey, how did you feel that all the work you did in between helped you to make that new film? Well, I'm definitely uh, a believer in... Um, you know, understanding all the aspects of what makes something work or, or makes something uh, happen. So I really believe, and I, I truly believe this, I think all directors should learn, 
about acting as much as possible. They should take acting classes. I think they, they don't have to become an actor, but they should really be in those shoes and understand it if they want to be a good director. And then on the flip side of that, I think directors should also uh, be in the editing rooms and learn editing, learn the programs, learn what makes a cut happen, learn what, how to crossfade your, your action and your sound and everything. I, I really feel like that directors should have at least those two skills, really a really strong understanding of them. So, uh, you know, and I believe that you should understand all of these roles, even down to the PA. I think if you want to be a director, you should go be a PA on, on, a, on a film or two or three or ten because you've really got to understand what all these people that are going to be underneath you as far as, uh, you know, on a film project goes, not, you know, as a person, not underneath you, but just, you know, in that project, uh, the hierarchy of, of the chain of command. You've got to understand what they're all doing and what it takes to do it and how hard it is to do those jobs. I mean, it's, it's not easy to do a lot of them. The, the line producers, the... The, uh, the first AD is one of the hardest jobs you could possibly do uh, on a film. It's incredibly difficult. So if you don't understand what goes into those roles and you're just barking orders and doing this and doing that, you're not going to have, uh, in my opinion, you're not going to have the ability to steer that ship, at least not in, a productive, in the most productive way possible and the most creative way possible. So... Uh, somebody told me, and I can't remember who it was early on when I got to Hollywood, but they told me, they said some words that really stuck with me, and it was along the lines of, of diversify or die. Uh, and it wasn't that exact quote, but that's kind of what I've whittled it down to, and it's been my mantra. Uh, and they were telling me that to just work in this industry any way that you can, even if it's not what the exact role that you want to do. Just constantly stay working. Uh, and, and I did that. I took every job I could take. Uh, I never said no if, it, if my schedule allowed, uh, and I still kind of am that way. I, if I can fit it into the schedule and make it work, I'll do it. It doesn't matter if I'm a, you know, assistant fight choreographer or a, uh, assistant cameraman or, a, or whatever it is. Uh, over the years, I've just done it and gained that knowledge and gained that understanding with the belief that it's only going to make me a stronger filmmaker and storyteller. Now, right. Sean, that's a, that, that brings me to my next question, and this is kind of a question for both you and Brian. Brian mentioned that he uh, will only act sort of as a last resort if an actor bows out or something like that, and then he'll obviously come in, and uh, fortunately he has the chops to pull it off, so, so there's that. But I, I, I want to extend this question out there. Um, what is it like not only as an actor, but how do you, how do you, because, and I, I refer back to, uh, to the lackey as a perfect example, um, how do you direct yourself, and do you find that you are then in the position to where, is, is there ever an, an awkwardness in having to uh, deal with yourself as well as, as the other actors and getting that, that cohesion and making sure that everything is, is working smoothly? Well, this is what I tell anybody that asks me about directing and acting at the same time. And I've been on, on multiple uh, media types. I've done it on TV shows like Deadly Warrior. I had to play William Wallace and direct the episode at the same time. Here's the answer. A strong team. So <clears throat> you cannot do it by yourself. And, and, and I, I, mean, I mean, you can, but 
uh, if you want it to be of any kind of quality, you've got to have people that you trust and that understand you and that you guys are on the same page of what you're trying to get. Now, on the Lackey, I had Jason Sanders, who was my co-director. So when I needed to step into that scene, and I'm not a method actor. Uh, I, I have a lot of respect for people that can do that, but I'm somebody who just, you know, I'll take a deep breath and I'll snap into that character. So I'm fortunate enough in that regard to be able to, to be the director and in discussing it with, you know, a co-director or a first AD or somebody like that. Even on the lackey, uh, <clears throat> Ricky Bird was there, who's also a director, and he was producing on it. So, you know, we would be discussing the scene, and, and obviously me being also the co-writer, I would be expressing what I had envisioned for the shot and what needs to be here and how it needs to be there, and we'd all discuss it. How, how should we light it? How, you know, all the scene setup stuff we would do, and then I was confident that they had it under control, and I would then go and, you know, take my deep breath and get into my role and, uh, you know, know that they had it covered. And that's really the only way you can do it. If you're trying to be in control nonstop all the time, it's just, you know, it's not really going to work. Or something is going to suffer. Some piece is going to falter. Uh, and I've been lucky enough on those projects to have people that were extremely uh, strong um, in, in that respect, you know, to support me. Outstanding, and in the in the in the maturation process as as you move forward, especially you know like uh, with the lacking with these other projects that you have coming up, is there a particular genre that you like to delve into, or that you would like to uh, to expose yourself to more, or is it is it uh, the action where you 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 see your energies as a storyteller being placed right now? Uh, well, I mean, listen, I, I, I love it all. I tell people this all the time. I love, I just love filmmaking in general, and I love the process so much and love being on set so much that I can get excited about any genre, to be honest with you. But if I have a choice, I really am a sci-fi fan. So, and and uh, Steve knows, obviously, we have several projects that fall into that realm. Uh, that we're really trying to get off the ground. We have uh, this generation of the Apocalypse film, which we've been working on for many years and developing, and I think it's really in a place right now that is perfect timing, and the uh, story is fantastic, and so we're really pushing hard to try and get that off the ground right now. And then we also have, uh, uh, you know, several other projects that fall into that realm. We have... Uh, you know, a kind of a film noir, sci-fi action film as well, and uh, so the whole the science fiction thing really intrigues me. And I would, if you're asking me what I would love to to try and tackle, that would be the one. We can, we can talk to Sean literally for hours and hours and hours, which is one of the reasons why I want to have a singular guest. Uh, we're going to take a small break. Uh, after those great words of wisdom before we bring on Brian and Sean together to talk about their project together being Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. As we do this, please, uh, let's take a little bit of a break. Before we do that, let me, let me go ahead and say my piece since they're on hold. Uh, I've known Sean for many, many years, uh, going on, what is it, over, over 11 years now. 
there are a lot of people I've worked with since I was very, very young in, in the film industry. I've worked as location and editing. I, I've done so many. I have directed plays. I've done a lot of things in my existence. I mean, I've done a lot of things in my life. I've met a lot of people growing up in L.A., a lot of stars, B, C, A levels. And I can go down the rail. I was born in a different era. Born in a different era where Hollywood stars were just a little more accessible because Facebook didn't exist. So you can literally go up to their faces and talk to them. Or they can just, you know, not like you immediately, which is kind of how the world was back then. Sean Pacino is very special in that angle, whereas he's a very kind, kind individual. Now that's, it's easy to say um, for people who are trying to butter each other up or kiss each other's butts for brown nose. But from what I know of this person, from my good friend, from this great director, from this excellent producer to this gigantic creator of lore, stories, he pushes harder than anybody I know, and he works very, very well with humans. It's very hard to say for a lot of people. He's also very ethical, moral. He's a very good person with his wife and two small children. He loves them very much. Gives, gives people way more chances a lot of times than they've earned. We've been on set together. I, I see what he does. He's a great guy. If there's any reason in the world to hire Sean, one would be his skill. Two would be his work ethic. He's got an intense work ethic. I've never known anybody like this except for myself. And sometimes it makes me feel bad about myself. And number three, he's a damn good person. Not a good guy. I'm not saying he's a nice guy. I'm saying he's a good person. That's way different. You can trust this guy. Can you say that about 99% of the people in this industry? Being media industry? Can you say that? I, I don't think you can. I think you could probably say that maybe 70% of the people working in, in the industry today, in Hollywood industry, in the media industry, are very, very good people. But Sean is one of those people. So I just really wanted to say that without being interrupted. Um, I care about the guy a lot. He works extremely hard, and we have projects on the way, and I can't wait to see them blow up in the production. So here's to you, Sean. All right, we're going to take a small little break. Please listen to this beautiful Spanish guitar before we get them both on and talk about their next project being Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Thanks for listening to Cinema Files Radio.
Live radio. Thank you for welcoming. Thank you for listening to us here on Cinema Files Radio. Like I just said, live radio. So we have the great Sean Piccinino online right now. We can talk to him for hours and hours and hours. And Brian, uh, unfortunately, got logged off, but he's calling back in right now. We want to talk by Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So how was the first news you heard about this film? and How did you get introduced into it? Well, I uh, obviously we um, went to the SoCal Film Festival. We were lucky enough to get accepted with uh, the Lackey film, and Brian was a very gracious host, and uh, we had an amazing experience there. And for time, uh, um, hit it off. The, oh, are you guys hearing the phone call? Uh, I do. Sounds like uh, sounds like Brian might be calling in. Was uh, that was me calling Brian? Oh, cool. <laughs> Keep on going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Keep on going. I apologize. That was weird. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, we got to get him back on here. But yeah, so we had a great experience at the SoCal Film Festival. Uh, I highly suggest that festival to anybody who is into seeing films and film festivals. It's in a beautiful area. Um, and anyway, so we kind of kept in touch with Brian, and and uh, you know he's. This, his project of, of this Jekyll and Hyde came was coming up, and and he approached me about uh, possibly playing the role of Jekyll, and uh, of course I was, you know, I was on board. And once I read the script, I was really on board be, because I thought uh, him and his writing partner did a fantastic job on on cultivating that story and and really staying true to the original story, not what we all have grown to. Uh, think about Jekyll and Hyde because of uh, Hollywood's take. Even back in the 30s they, when they were doing the Jekyll and Hyde, uh, it was very different than what the actual novel um, was trying to uh, say. Right. Uh, Brian, we were just talking about how Sean got involved, but on that same note, how did you get involved in this, this great project? I understand this is more of a literary take on the source material than other films of have gone through. Yes, it is. Well, I, I am an English teacher, and I've been teaching Jekyll and Hyde for many, many years, and it's always driven me crazy that there isn't a movie version that you can use as a companion piece, uh, as a teachable tool along with the novella. So uh, my goal there was to create a companion piece that could be used as a teaching tool in, in high schools and colleges and middle schools that teach the novella. Now, out of all the literature in the planet Earth, why Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? What, 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 what about that project that tasked you to it? Uh, well, it's a transcendent story that has lasted for well over 100 years now, and people know the basic idea, but they don't remember the story. They don't know the story. They associate it with the Hulk and monsters and horror films, and uh, I don't know that they really know the story. It's much more of a mystery type of novel than, than a horror right. or monster. Well, that being said, what, what was your, uh, your influence? Some people take a more classic monster battle perspective. Some people take more of an investigatory battle with it, a Sherlock Holmes battle. What was your perspective on this film? How, to, how was your angle? I guess Stevenson himself was the influence and the perspective I wanted to, to capture in game. There's a lot that isn't said that's alluded to in the story, and I think that's where people end up taking liberties that go well beyond the story. Um, when they add a love story, when they add 
monsters and all of these different aspects of it. That, that stuff's not in there, um, and it's intentionally not in there. And I wanted to really keep and maintain the nuances of the original story. Of course, to make it fit in, in today's world, rather than a 90-page, uh, you know, it's a 90-page novella. It's pretty slow moving. Most of it's told through letters, and we don't get a lot of action in it. So we needed to create some elements that that uh, would entice today's moviegoers and movie watchers. So there's uh, elements that we did take liberties with, but I feel like they maintain the, the spirit of the story and are very much alluded to and hinted at and drawn from the text that's there. Now this film is starring some, some very well-known actors and some people that we don't know quite well that we're, we're going to get to know really well. Uh, Gianni Capaldi, Sean Paul Pettinino, David Beatty, uh, Margaret O'Brien, Mickey Rooney, Vernon Wells. How was it like when you first saw this list of actors coming onto your film? What was that first initial feeling of, oh, this is a this is a pretty nice list? Well, it came together pretty nicely. I wanted to put people in the key roles first that I knew could handle it, uh, and that's I got Sean involved, I got David Beatty involved, and those were the two of the key characters. Um, and then from there, I pulled in some other actors I had worked with, and once I had a core group of actors, I started to expand out to others and reach out and see who, who else we could get involved. Um, Johnny Capaldi, who's been in quite a few movies now, and his, uh, his star is really rising. He's coming up, and I'm really fortunate to have him involved, and I met him through a friend of a friend, as so much of this goes in this business. It's, you meet one person through one person, then another person, and suddenly you have a movie. Right. That, that being said, Sean, you know, going back to your literature and your act, your stage play acting goes, did that help you draw you to this project, uh, being more of the literature background, the stage play background? Did that aim you in this direction? Uh, yeah, did that I help? think it did. And I think it did, and I also think that um, I'm a huge fan of the classics, and uh, I also I have a, a, a real thing for nostalgia, so I love you know, motorcycles from the 40s and, and, you know. So anyways, I just love that, and I love the period. And, and when I was first talking with Brian, he was trying to figure out if we could keep it in, in the period of the piece in 1883 or where, when it was supposed to take place. That really excited me. I love period pieces. I love doing stuff that's uh, uh, going to be set in a different era, whether it's in the future or in the past. I just really have... Uh, an affinity for that. So I was very excited about that and excited to learn more about this character. And the journey of playing Dr. Henry Jekyll was uh, very, very interesting for me because, and really Brian brought it to life for me, but I didn't really understand what that character was about before uh, this process. And now it's it, it blew me away what he really what the story is really about, because it's not at all what I thought it was about. Right. Well, talking about now, that, I, talking about Dr. Jekyll, go ahead, Charles, you had a question? Oh, yeah, I, I, I have to ask, before we take a step further, I would be remiss if I didn't. Uh, the legendary Mickey Rooney, how, how was it uh, working with him? How did you get him involved? What did that add to the piece? And was there any kind of uh, intimidation factor, for lack of a better word, Brian, on your part in dealing with uh, uh, and working with a Hollywood legend. 
it, it came together. It was pretty incredible the way that all fell together. Uh, Sean was talking about keeping this in the Victorian era, and that's really where it all started. One of the other actors, Jed Rowan, as a friend, a fellow actor named Randall Malone, as it started to develop, Jed said, hey, I think I might be able to help you out with some Victorian settings. My friend Randall has a house that is decorated Victorian. So we went to Randall's house, looked at it. His house is incredible. It fit the era perfect. Um, so we got Randall involved. He has a role in the movie. We used his house. And then Randall said, hey, I know a few people, Margaret O'Brien, Mickey Rooney. And he reached out to them. Then I contacted wow. them, and uh, we got them involved through that. Again, I go back to a friend of a friend of a friend, and suddenly a movie comes together. Uh, once we heard that Mickey was interested in being involved, we were we were pretty excited. Didn't think it would really happen. It seems it seemed like a, a pretty far stretch at that point. But then it all fell together, and within days of thinking it was going to fall apart, it came together. We shot on March 8th. Um, I don't know if there was an intimidation factor as much as excitement and eagerness to get that done, get that taken care of, have them in there. Um, a lot of people, we really worked hard to make sure that shoot went well. Uh, Sean, once again, wearing many roles, was uh, operated the second camera that day because we didn't want to have to do take after take after take. So we were able to do two cameras at once. Um, Mickey was a blast on set. You know, he's, he's one of those people where you hear different things about, heard about difficulties working with him on set, but with us, he was absolutely fantastic, friendly, talked to everybody, gave people advice about longevity in the industry, and we had a really good time working with him and very fortunate and humble to have had that opportunity. Well, going into that subject there, uh, Sean, when we were at the Hollywood Horror Fest, uh, the the panel was a, a bit depressing, just a tad bit, and I really loved what you said at the end, which captured in what, what uh, Mickey Rooney said to you one day when everybody had, they look like chickens without their heads, with their heads cut off. Uh, what, did, what, what did Mickey Rooney tell you as a piece of advice, and, and for the rest of the crew, as a piece of advice on how to continue in film? Yeah, he basically uh, saw us all just kind of stressing out and, you know, doing the typical stuff, and and, and he said it to all of us. He He said you know, hey, you guys are all doing a fantastic job. You, you're really doing great, which I thought was cool that he just even took that second to say that. And he said, uh, but just remember to have fun. He's like, because if you don't have fun, then what is this all for? And, uh, you know, it was a really, I want to say, you know, chicken skin moment for myself and I'm sure everyone else who was standing there uh, looking at someone of his stature, uh, Right. in this business, just reminding us to have fun because you know, what's the point right. if you're not having fun? And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Well, you're, you're standing next to Mickey Rooney. You're standing next to Vernon Wells. Uh, ideally, two, two really cosmo, cosmo you know, uh, pop star icons, really, in, in a certain perspective of our, of our childhood. How, how did it feel like? I mean, we did work with Vernon before, the first time working with Mickey Rooney, and obviously the last one. How did it feel working with these two people side by side? It, it was a blast. It was I mean, Mickey, of course, with the, the longevity, the legend. There's uh, so many different aspects that are enjoyable about working with him. But uh, Vernon, as you said, an icon from my youth. Of course, a big fan of the Road Warrior when I was a kid. But even more so, Weird Science. So I wasn't standing there next yeah. to the guy from The Road Warrior. I was there with the guy from Weird Science. 
<laughs> the guy. That was awesome. That was an awesome. Most people forget that scene from Weird Science, but that that is a brilliant scene. The, the three movies I always remember him from are, are Road Warrior, Weird Science, and The Commando. Most because of course. Milano. Yes, I admitted that on radio, so I don't care. It was actually his. Uh, his this is his second uh, second go around with Jekyll and Hyde. He was in a Jekyll and Hyde version oh, five or six years ago with Tony Todd as well. Really. And how did that go? Well, they they brought it into the modern world and changed the story quite a quite a bit. So it's a movie that's very different than what we were doing. How far along are we on this project right now? We, we, I just saw the first trailer the other day. <clears throat> Excuse me. We just saw the first trailer the other day. When when can we see this film for ourselves? And where are we going to see it? Well, we will we will see about where we will see it. The goal is to be done September ish. I'm. Uh, just really getting into the editing process now, and I'm hoping I can be done with the editing uh, by the end of summer and be ready September, October. And then as for where, that will just depend, you know, depend ultimately on the end product. We already have invites to various festivals, but uh, again, I'll see what the movie ends up being. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, it's, uh, I'm hoping it's pretty good. Well, I know, I know you were pretty much guaranteed to be able to see it at uh, SoCal Fest at some, at some <laughs> yes. point. Out of, out of, out of competition. <laughs> right, right. It's been, disqual- it's been disqualified now. <laughs> so so uh, how, how is Post coming along? You've got to be working on special effects. You've got to be working on editing right now. Uh, you, you've got to have a rough cut. How, how are you feeling about the project right now? Well, I mean, I've got a rough cut of scenes. I don't have a rough cut of the movie yet. I'm putting it together as time allows. Uh, it's filmmaking isn't my full time job, so it's uh, you know it's it's often when catches catch can with that. But now I have some some time available, so I'm going to really dive into the editing process and put together more of it. We have some reshoots, not some reshoots, but we have some pickups to do, and we have some uh, of the effect elements that Sean knows. Sean's quite involved with that as well. Um, we did some green screen stuff that we need to shoot backgrounds for and uh, continue finishing, but it's it's coming along it's coming along nice. I mean the the stuff that I have edited, I am really happy with, really excited about. The acting is incredible. I think when people see this, they're going to be really pleased with the overall quality from top to bottom. Nice, girls. Well, that sounds that sounds absolutely fantastic. I love the process of filmmaking uh and and you know in speaking with filmmakers and both of you are so uh so well accomplished in this regard um moving forward is there a project a dream project that you two see either as a collaborative effort between the two of you or just individual projects what is what is your next dream you're given the green light to do what you want to do what do you guys see and this is a question for both of you where do you guys see yourselves going? What's that dream project shaping up like for you guys? You want to take this first, Sean, or should I? Uh, go ahead. You, you go ahead first. I have many dream projects. It all depends on uh, – it, it really all comes down to, to budget. If something were available to where I had a, a budget, a free a, – a budget to do what I want, I have well over 20 screenplays that I've written that are sitting – and waiting for the right budget. What I've been focusing on the last few years are movies that fit my budget, fit my resources. Um, 
as for a specific one, I'm not sure. It would really just depend on, I think, where uh, where things go with Jekyll and Hyde from this point as to, to what I do next. As for working with Sean, I mean, I think, uh, I hope this is a, they start to a long friendship and collaborative process and uh, many future projects together, uh, you know, whether it's helping him, him helping me, or collaborating and mutually helping each other. That's fantastic. Well, I, I think you know, it, I, uh, Oh, uh, I was going to say uh, it, would be, it would be a sad uh, a sad day if we didn't collaborate on more things because we literally live, <laughs> I think, four blocks from each other, which which I only discovered uh, you know as of recently when we started shooting Doctor Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, I think I was bringing something over or picking something up and li- found out we literally are like four blocks from each other. So uh, that would be quite a shame if we didn't uh, collaborate on anything else. But, yeah, we've already talked about a couple little uh, side projects, some, some uh, you know, teaser trailer stuff for some other projects um, that we're going to collaborate on, a, a little series project, we'll probably, like a web series that I am developing um, with another third-party person and then, uh, um, you know, so, yeah, we're definitely going to be collaborating on some things, and uh, so I'm excited about that and looking forward to uh, any and all those projects, some of his projects, and, of course, uh, some of uh, Steve, and our, Steve and I's uh, scripts uh, that we have as well. So, uh, you know, it's going to be fun. I, I know we're going to do a lot of, a lot of stuff together. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more with Sean Pacino uh, once the close to the 15-minute mark at the end of our show here. Um, Brian, thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much about talking to Dr. We're, we're, we're running so long now. It's interesting that I can talk to you for hours about your life, your movies, the things that you're doing, your projects. I first met you, Scott Fensel. You were very, very sweet. The second time we met each other again, uh, I got the nice hotel. You know, I won that contest. You've always been a gentleman. Uh, I was honored to be at your film festival. Please tell us, how, how can we contact you? How can we contact you? How can we see you? What's your next... Please tell me how we can contact you. Uh, well, people can go to JekyllHydeMovie.com, learn about the movie, get in touch with us that way. Uh, check us out on Facebook at uh, Facebook.com uh, backslash SoCal Pro Media. Check us out that way. Um, you know, reach out, love hearing from people, getting people involved as much as possible. And the Facebook page for Jekyll and Hyde, too. Yes, thank you, Jekyll Hyde movie as well. Yes. And what is, what is the pre-date right now for release? Do you have a pre-date right now, or do you have kind of a central zone of, like, second quarter or third quarter of 2014? Uh, I, would, I, would love to, I would love to be able to premiere it around the time of the festival, maybe, you know, in conjunction with an event at the festival right around October 4th. That is my... That is my initial initial goal, but I'm not firm on that. I want to make sure the movie is as high quality as it can be. So if we have to forego that, that's that's okay too. But we're aiming for October. Well, we're very much looking forward to it. Uh, thank you very much for talking to us today. Uh, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde is the movie. SoCal Film Festival is the one that's being controlled by Brian Brasuglia. We were so proud and, and thankful for you being on the show today. Thank you, Brian. Charles, is there anything else you'd like to say? Brian, I just wanted to say it was such an honor to uh, have a chance to talk to a filmmaker of your caliber and uh, uh, somebody who puts on film festivals to give other filmmakers a chance, an opportunity to show 
what they can do in a in a in a safe and uh, comforting environment. So just thank you for all the work that you've done and uh, continue to do. And thank you so much for being on the show. Steve, Charles, thank you. Sean, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Have a great day. All right, all right boys yeah. and girls, we're going to take a short little break. And in, in that break, we're going to talk to Sean about his feature movies uh, coming up really, really soon. Please hold on. Well, like always, it is fantastic to listen to the always great Sean Piccinino. You can find Sean Piccinino on Facebook as Sean Paul Piccinino or Sean Paul Piccinino um, fan page. You can also find the Lackey Movie on Facebook. Let's have him back on. Let's have talk to him about his uh, next projects coming up very, very soon. How are you doing, Sean? It was very nice having you on today. We want to talk some more about future projects coming up. Now, we have Graveyard Boys. Let's just start off there. Graveyard Boys. What's going on with this? Well, that's the film in development uh, right now uh, with Broadway Entertainment and, uh, of course, Jared Rice, who is uh, the writer of that script. He's also going to be a producer on it and also acting it, uh, as, as it were. So we're in healthy development on that right now. Uh, we're in, in talks with Broadway Entertainment, and it looks like it's all moving forward. So really excited about that. I will be directing it, um, also playing a part. And, uh, you know, we're, we're real excited about that. And we're just we're still in the early stages. Uh, we're hoping to start production in September. Um, and uh, so that's what's going on with that. Nice, nice. Now, where the fever breaks is another film that, that that you have. Is that is that in post or is that in pre-production right now? Oh yeah, that's uh, would be considered pre-production still. Uh, but we start shooting in August, early August. Uh, I'm real excited about that. I play. Uh, I get to have a little bit of a departure and and play uh, kind of a villain in this one. And uh, he's a villain. He's a villain of circumstance. So uh, he's kind of you know. And everybody in the movie's backs are to the wall, but it's the way he reacts when his back is to the wall is what vilifies him because he uh, makes choices that he believes are the right choices uh, for his survival and the one the ones he loves survival. But ultimately, they are uh, maybe not necessarily the best choices. Right. A lot, of, a lot of like the lackey, incidentally. So, 
So you have the Graveyard Boys that that's starting up right now. Now, I, how much detail can you go into about what your position is on that and, and what you're doing on that project? Well, I'm going to be directing that film, and, and I'm also going to be playing one of the parts, uh, and um, uh, I'll be handling post as well, uh, at least heading up the post uh, on that. And um, we can't go into too many details, although it is a action comedy. So it's going to be a chance to really flex those muscles uh, with the comedy, uh, which I do have an extensive background in, uh, especially growing up with the improv and uh, all that, all those kind of things, um, and then working in television on a lot of comedy shows. So uh, I'm excited about doing something that's a little bit different. Of course, there's still going to be great action in it. Uh, Jared Rice wrote a fantastically funny script. Um, you know, the title yeah. is kind of a, a very interesting title, but uh, it really is uh, its one of those things. You can liken it to like a Harold and Kumar or, or something in that genre, but, uh, you know, it, it does have some very witty and funny uh, writing to it. And, uh, again, like I said, there's some, some great fun action that's going to be happening in it. Well, we're going to try to get Jared Rice on the show uh, fairly soon so you guys can talk about Graveyard Boys yourself. I do, I do love his personality. He's got a quirky sense of humor. He's a, uh, he's a war veteran and uh, quite a nice guy. So I can't wait to see that. So we have Graveyard Boys and, and When the Fever Breaks. Tell me about When the Fever Breaks. Uh, do you, what part do you play in this film, and, and do you have any other positions in this film as well? Um, I, yeah, I'm just playing the, one of the leads, uh, and, and again, he's, like I said, he's the, the film's, uh, uh, well, I want to say villain. He is the villain, really. Um, there's some other factors going on there. It's a zombie apocalypse, uh, so you got the zombies trying to eat everybody. Um, but uh, truth, truthfully, he is, he is kind of the, the villain in it, and uh, uh, directed by Tymaine Clay and Lucy Clay, um, and they wrote it together. Uh, really great people. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting to work with them. And also the DP uh, is Tony Warren, who you know, who's a fantastic, he's just fantastic yeah. behind the camera, also a director um, in his own right, and he's fantastic. And so I'm really excited to get back on set with him. Um, and, uh, you know, the cast is unbelievable. We've already done read-throughs, we've already done some rehearsals, and i got to tell you, uh, the cast is stellar. So um, really, really looking nice. forward to, uh, yeah, and so you guys should check out the Facebook page on that, go and like it. Um, I believe it's uh, facebook.com backslash when the fever breaks. Um, you can look it up uh, easy enough. Uh, and and uh, so check that out, and we start production in, in early August, like I said. I also should mention uh, Trespass and the Terror is another film that I shot last year, um, and uh, I know they're deep in post-production. I'm not sure when that will come out. Uh, we shot that up in Central California, and, uh, you know, a lot of Willie Ortlieb, a lot of uh, another great uh, people working with all of them. Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm trying to keep busy and uh, and uh, oh I also wanted oh, to mention yeah. Superpower Beatdown. Uh, that's another show I'm heavily involved with. I'm I'm the second unit director, stunt coordinator on a lot of the episodes. I don't do every episode, but um, I'm there more than I'm not. And uh, love that show. And if you guys haven't seen it, you got to check it out. 
uh, to Machinima Show, uh, the, you know, YouTube web series. Oh, it, um, it is a fantastic show. It, can you tell us anything about the last the last one you worked on or one that we should look uh, <laughs> out for? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I can't say yet what the next one is. I can just say people are going to love it. I think it's going to be I, every single one of these episodes is hitting like 10 million views. Uh, the show is yes. doing really fantastic. Aaron Schonke is the director. Uh, his dad also produces and does all the music and effects and all this. It really, it's a cool. Just everybody involved in the show is amazing. Uh, lots of different hands in that uh, making that show happen, um, and they're all all amazing um, to work with. And we just had a great time. We shot down at uh, Laurel Canyon stages and just had a total blast. Again, I can't mention what it is. I think I can mention that Batman is involved, uh, which should be exciting enough. Yes. There's the, the person he's facing in this next episode is, is uh, pretty awesome. Oh. And, and uh, uh, if people don't know what the show is, it's basically taking two super-powered people from different universes and pitting them against each other. So characters that would never... Give us an, give us you know, an example in the past. Like, uh, yeah, I believe you had Captain America versus Master Chief, right? Yes, that was, and that episode is doing fantastic, by the way. And I did stunt coordinate that show. Um, yeah, that was Captain America versus Master Chief. Um, did, you have, did you have anything to do with, uh, with Wolverine versus Predator? I did. I also was the second unit uh, stunt coordinator on that. Um, that was another, that was such a blast. The gentleman who, who was in the Predator outfit was like almost seven feet tall. Uh, wow. and, but he still, he still moved incredibly. And if I'm not mistaken, his uncle oh, so was a little the shorter than me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, he... Um, his uncle was the guy who was in the suit in the original film. If I'm not mistaken, oh, wow. don't quote me on that, but I believe that wow. is true. Um, and, uh, and, and the gentleman playing uh, Wolverine was just amazing. This guy is so durable. And, you know, I work with stuntmen all the time and just amazing talents uh, all across the board. Um, uh, and, uh, but this gentleman was something special about him. And the guy's legs are like tree trunks as they were. But he was doing this 12-foot drop off, in a, off a, like a cliff down into an embankment. And we were trying to figure out if we are going to wire rig it, what we got to bring in to do it. And he's like, no, I'll just do it. I'll just jump. And there wasn't room for him to roll out of it. So people that know parkour or free running, there's ways to do those jumps and land and land safely. But unfortunately here, he couldn't roll out of it. Uh, and I told him not to do it, but... He's a little bit crazy and just a lot of bit skilled. So uh, he did that jump three or four times, landing on two feet, just boom, landing on the on the the ground there. Uh, it was there was a little bit of sand there, so at least it had some give. But it was still unbelievable. I wouldn't make that jump, and he just did it, take after take, and <laughs> just. I, mean, I think he really is Wolverine, is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> yeah. You know, we can, like I said before, we we can talk forever. This is one of the very few times on the show where we're hitting the 10-minute mark, and I want to keep on going, but the show is really only two hours. So, so we, 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 we unfortunately need to end the show, but I, I do want one show for just, for just us so we can talk, because we can talk about a lot of the things. A lot of people don't also realize, and you... you Everybody, look at his IMDb page. We're going we're gonna to pump it up right after this conversation right here. But 
Look at his mocap work, his motion capture work, his acting, his directing, his editing, all the video games that you worked on or played on, all the games that you love and adore. This guy was in all of them. Sometimes playing parallel characters who are hurting each other at the same time, which is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Sean, that's, tell, tell us, that's the digital. <laughs> just, that's a digital arena, right? Yeah. So just yes. a little bit. Uh, what, Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your motion capture work? And I also want to talk a little bit about how the Darth Vader voice slash moving art works and how we want to change it in the future. Oh, well, yeah, that's an interesting topic. Well, yeah, I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to work on, uh, I believe it's 31 games to date. Uh, and I've also been part of the choreography and coordination side and assistant directing side, but uh, also suiting up and getting in front of the camera, doing full performance capture, voice, you know, facial movements, body movement, of course. Uh, but I've worked on the Call of Duty games. I've done, I think, four or five of those now. Uh, the last one I worked on was Black Ops 2, and you can actually, I voice a few, you know, of the smaller characters in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you've, if you've played any of the Call of Duty games or uh, the UFC games or Prototype or Spider-Man, you, you've probably shot, stabbed, killed me, and, and uh, you know, one way or the other, you've blown me up, I'm sure. Uh, so, but, yes, uh, you know, that's fun, and it, it is an interesting topic with, um, and I want to give a big shout out to all the people down there at Activision. Uh, uh, always have a blast working with all of them. But uh, um, you know, it's an interesting thing the motion capture world in the way that uh, you know it's kind of a new horizon still. It's a new uh, part of the industry. So doing a lot of this ca- this motion capture and the performance art stuff, you don't necessarily get the credit. Uh, that you deserve. And and I liken it to David Prowse playing Vader. And obviously it's not his voice. Uh, James Earl Jones uh, obviously famously did his voice. You know, David is still credited as playing Darth Vader because he did play it. And he did speak the lines. And he did all of that stuff. And it was replaced later. And that's much of what the same thing that we do. We're out there. We're saying all the lines for these characters. And later on it'll be somebody, a more A-list, talent who uh, comes in and voices it and and they do some of the some of the motion capture as well it's not just us doing it but um it is an interesting thing to see uh how the people that are in the body they embody they bring the life to these characters um aren't always given the credit that the they should be at least in my opinion and uh and and, if, and a lot of the credit goes to the animators too because what they're doing with the characters is amazing, too. It shouldn't be, uh, you know, I'm not trying to downplay what they do because they arguably are doing the most work out of anybody um, because yeah. they can't always use exactly the movement that you've done. Uh, you know, they have to tweak the data in order to make it fit the scene or, or work. So, but it is a collaborative effort, and I really do believe these people doing the the motion capture itself should be held to, uh, you know, higher accolades because and I'm not just talking for myself I mean there's people Jeremy Dunn there's there's uh, people in that in this part of the industry that do amazing amazing work and they don't necessarily get uh, the credit on screen and and uh, uh, certainly not with uh, you know any back-end you know kind of uh, residuals and all that jazz that they really do deserve TJ Storm is another gentleman who 
really does some amazing work in these games. And uh, America Young, she's another actress that really kicks butt in these things. So, anyways, we're, uh, we're going to talk more about this later on. I mean, we can talk we can talk forever about all these things, all the things you're involved. <laughs> it's one thing that we, we love about each other. We never have a shortage of things to speak about. Sean, how can we get in contact with you? How do we get to know you? Where do we go? Well, of course, you can find me on uh, Facebook. Uh, check me out, facebook.com backslash Sean Piccinino, and that's S-H-A-U-N, last name P-I-C-C-I-N-I-N-O. Check out my IMDb page. It's imdb.me backslash Sean Piccinino. Um, you can check me out at seanpiccinino.com as well. And check out thelackeymovie.com. That's our latest film that uh, is available on DVD, digital downloads, uh, video on demand. Uh, check it out. We put a lot of time and energy into that. Um, also check out, uh, you can find out more information about me on like hecticfilms.com uh, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, and Twitter. You can find me on Twitter. I, I believe I'm at actorshawnpeachnino.com. Uh, so Truly you can find studio. me. Just look me up. Truly Indie Studios, yeah, yes. just look me up. Uh, you'll, you'll find me. Awesome. Awesome. And Sean, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I know Charles and I both enjoyed having you on the show. We can't wait to have you in the future. Uh, good luck to you, and, uh, and have a great, great Sunday. Charles, do you have anything else to say? Uh, you know what, just again, Sean, I am in awe of your skill, your talent, your creativity on multiple levels and multiple arenas, and I know that it's nothing but... Uh, greater and greater heights to which you will ascend. So thank you so much for taking the time and being on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it, guys. And you know I feel the exact same way about both of you, and it's my honor and pleasure to be on the show. And uh, Oh, one more thing before we go. I want to just mention uh, again about the SoCal Film Festival. Check out SoCalFest.com. Uh, I believe that's um, the website. Yeah, SoCalFilmFest.com. Um, SoCalFilmFest.com and check that festival out. And We'll have our projects are going to always be uh, involved in that film festival as well as uh, hopefully the AOF uh, Action on FilmFestival.com you can check out too with Del Weston. Um, those are two festivals that I think we'll be continuing to be at uh, throughout the years. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean Piccino, Thank for being you, on the show. John Paul Piccinero can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Satellite, um, Out of Prayers, uh, a lot of ways. Reach Sean Piccinero, the great, great actor. Thank you, Sean. Have yourself a great weekend, bud. All right, Charles. It was great having you on the show today. What a really, really nice episode. How did you feel about it today? Oh, absolutely wonderful. Our guests were great and uh, very informative and um you know, it's very positive people. It's always great to be able to talk to people who inspire you to go out and uh, accomplish great things with your week. It's, it's, it's always a little different, you know. Sometimes, you know, people want to be a little more negative than positive, and, and we get caught in those traps as, as actors and as creators. We get stuck in these, these things, these mind loops in our minds. Uh, can I make it? Will I make it? Should I make it? Listen, audience, you don't need to worry about these things. I want you to listen to these people, and the reason why I started this show is because I wanted to have fun. I wanted to have fun with Charles, obviously he's here, he's a good friend, a brilliant student, uh, an excellent company master, a great father, he's got a lot of great, great qualities about himself, I want you to know him. Also, he's a great actor, he's a 
great creator. So I wanted you to hear the positive perspective of writing, directing, producing, executive producing, all the things that I know that you guys do yourselves. I didn't want you to hear the negatives that come out of the woodworks from people. I want you to hear the positives. If you're hearing Sean today, Sean Paul Piccinino, you're in Brian Pasulia talking about his film and his positivity. This is Charles Carpenter and his positivity. We're very grateful for that. And for me to you, I want you to remember, it's personal strength. It is your personal desire that proves you, that drives you to life. It's very little to do with validation. It's very little to do with what other people want. If other people got what they wanted, they would try to pull you down. Don't let people pull you down. Remember, anger is like drinking poison while expecting the other person to die. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Sin Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa, with my co-host here, Charles Carpenter. Charles, have yourself a great weekend. Say hello to the lovely wife. Steve, thank you. You do the same. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Enjoy your weekends. And uh, let's go out there and create some beautiful art this week. Thank you, Charles. Have yourself a great weekend. And to you my great audience out there remember that you're special each individually very special live your life every day to the fullest love the people who are in your life be happy at the choice God bless you all thank you for Elisa Lilo Okalani Pisa for producing the show thank you for Charles David Carpenter for being a co-host on the show Thank you for Sean, Paul Pacino, for being a guest on the show, and Brian Persigula for being on the show. Their movie is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.